Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 68th episode, and I am here after the Dutch Grand Prix. The hometown hero has done it. Max Verstappen secures another record, adding just to his ridiculous F1 resume at this point at only 25 years old. But before we review this entire crazy weekend, first, a quick reminder, check out the link tree in the description. It has links to pages like all the platforms you can find this podcast, my YouTube channel, Break Bias, Twitter, and TikTok, which I have just recently started up again. It has my email address as well if you'd like to contact me. My personal Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn can also be found on that. So now let's get into the action at Zandvoort. Well, where do you start with this weekend? I mean, what a return F1 just had from the summer break. Uh, it, was, it was incredible. I mean, I said during the preview that Zandvoort was a kind of a mid-track that has mid-races. I mean, no stinkers, but also no just absolute banger races either. But this one is a candidate for race of the season. I'm sorry, 186 overtakes. Uh, that's a new F1 record for the record. Uh, the race obviously aided by the crazy uh, weather changes, but I feel like also this this track has always been very top tier for qualifying, and Saturday also was phenomenal. However, the drama started even before Saturday, while about 10 minutes into FB2, a minor incident from Oscar Piastri puts Daniel Ricciardo in a tough position as he watches his fellow countrymen spin out ahead of him. Uh, Ricciardo doesn't see him. He, he has no time to react, slams on the brakes, locks up. Um, and that puts him into the wall. He doesn't take his hand off the steering wheel quick enough. And then he reports to the team that something's wrong with his hand. And uh, later those details come out. It's a broken metacarpal. He's reportedly flown to Spain to meet with the same specialist that helped Lance Stroll start the season. Um, so obviously he couldn't finish the weekend. And you could hear in his voice too when he when he radioed in to to tell the team that like, you know, he's okay. But like his hand the way he said it was honestly kind of heartbreaking because yeah I mean Liam Lawson gets inserted into that seat and it's completely deserving you know Liam Lawson is probably the yeah he is the most deserving prospect outside of Formula One for an F1 seat I would say Teo Percher is probably in second but I wouldn't say it's really all that close the way Lawson's performing in Japan he absolutely did deserve a real shot in F1, but before I get to that, just what a shame for Daniel. I mean, it couldn't happen to a worse person. You know, I, I wouldn't wish anything like this on anyone, you know, and as much as I would love a, a gr close championship, I wouldn't with, wish this on Max Verstappen. I mean, this is a, a horrible uh, thing to happen to anyone, and it is kind of crazy that back-to-back -back years we're going to have, you know, a regular um, full-time driver missed the Italian Grand Prix. It was the same thing with Alex Albon last year, um, which led to the uh, opportunity for Nick DeVries. Now Liam Lawson is getting uh, an opportunity with uh, AlphaTauri. So does that mean he's driving for Williams next year? I mean, the, the vice versa would be kind of strange. But anyway, back to Daniel. I mean, this guy had two just awful seasons in Formula 1 must have been just so down on himself. I know I've talked about this before. He finally, you know, starts to feel good about himself, wants to show that he can, you know, perform in Formula One and be the old Daniel, the Daniel that was uh, held at such a high uh, degree in Formula One. Everyone thought that this guy could, could challenge for a championship in the right car at one point. He completely, you know, falls off the map in terms of his performance pretty much. He wants to prove himself in this car. He gets in there two races before the summer break. Those were kind of considered to be tune-ups. And then this is when he was supposed to turn it on, take it to Yuki Tsunoda, and show that he is the old Daniel. And what does he do? Before he even gets to qualifying, he breaks his hand. I mean, that is just brutal luck. And and it's a not, not a double-edged sword, but it, it, it's not just bad for Daniel because he's injured and he doesn't get to race. He's giving his direct competitor an opportunity to prove that he's the one who's actually worth it in that seat over him. Because let's be honest, Daniel's not 
going to be in the Red Bull next year. That is a completely off chance that's more exciting or, or fun to talk about than it actually is likely. The real, the real thing Daniel had to do was prove that he deserves a full-time Alvatari seat next year. And then by 2025 is, I think, when he actually had a chance because uh, Perez's contract is up then. I feel like at the end of 2025, Perez is out no matter what. I really don't see Perez getting retained for 26. I feel like that was Daniel Schott. And if he doesn't, you know, secure an AlphaTauri seat for next season, Daniel's really not going to get that shot at Red Bull. No shot. So, uh, yeah, just what a shame. I'm hoping that this doesn't cost Daniel his Formula One career because that would just be a tragic end. Um, But I think it is in the slightest possibility. So I I had to hit that off the top. Now, let's get into the actual action, guys. Um, Sorry to start off on such a sad note, but we have to talk about Red Bull, right? I mean, of course, Max was inevitable. He matches Vettel's consecutive wins record of nine by winning from pole. But obviously, that doesn't tell the whole story now, does it? I mean, it was not a straightforward win from pole for Max Verstappen, that's for sure. The whole weekend had very tricky weather conditions, and it appeared Red Bull was vulnerable in qualifying even, you know, with Albon leading Q1 by the end of that session. The McLarens looked quick. George Russell was a challenger. Fernando Alonso was right there. And then, as always, on a drying track, it's all about that last run. And my God, what a lap it was by Max Verstappen to snatch pole position. It was an absolute treat to watch him attack this circuit. I felt like he he really did have a real shot at not being on pole position. Mind you, I would have taken him to win from pretty much any spot on the grid, even at a track like this, even if it was wet and it's a little bit more difficult to overtake. I, I, I believe Max can win from P20 at basically any track besides Monaco right now. I, I am really that confident. Um, but yeah, just, just putting that lap into perspective to grab pole position, you know, he, I think he was six tenths up on Lando and Lando did have a mistake, which is still kind of crazy. The fact that Lando didn't even optimize his lap and he still ended up on the front row alongside Max, but I think it was about five and a half, six tenths. He also was 1.3 seconds faster than Checo's lap time, which was still good enough for, I mean, an admittedly mediocre p7 but it was still good enough for p7 and it was 1.3 seconds faster than his teammate 1.3 seconds my god that is baffling and at this point i think it's just a w for checo to make it to q3 because that gap is just it's going to raise some questions i think total wolf even said something like the the gap between Max and Checo is is just not like computing in his brain like he doesn't understand how it's even possible for the gap to be that big um but that's what I was trying to say to Kyle when he uh, came on uh, with Darnell on, in the summer break he he was disrespecting Checo and yes I I really do believe Checo is struggling with confidence and, and he's down on himself and he's not performing to the level he should be but at the same time you have to respect Max Verstappen because he is different i'm a lewis guy and i haven't been watching formula one forever i've tried to learn a lot um i've watched a ton of old races and i've seen some of the things that lewis has done in the past don't get me wrong because i like to watch the races that he has had the success in as well but my god like what max verstappen is doing right now i just don't think we've seen for a very very long time probably since michael schumacher i don't think lewis has ever done this to a teammate really ever so it's it's really just absolutely nuts so of course we get to the race max leads out of turn one before he even finishes a lap though it starts just absolutely chucking it down in holland raining so hard checo is the first to pit for inters though red bull nails it by lap three he's in the lead 11 seconds ahead of max who of course pitted for inters the following lap after checo but still 11 seconds that's how much quicker the intermediates were and and just really how chaotic the start was so many teams you know uh sure max lost out but compared to the other teams red bull nailed that strategy i mean they got both their drivers on the inters as early as they possibly could without double stacking max eventually overtakes all the runners who just incomprehensibly stayed on the softs um i know a lot of teams have 
said, oh, their weather radar said it was only going to be like two minutes of light rain. So they didn't think it was worth it. You know, a 20 second pit stop to go into the intermediates wasn't worth it. But of course, Perez made up, I think, like 10 or 15 seconds on one lap on the soft runners. Um, So hard to argue that, but I guess you can't. It's easy to be critical when we're looking at, you know, everyone go around the track and be like, hey, the inter drivers are going way way faster why aren't you pitting when they're trying to trust you know the uh the weather radar and the other uh measurement tools that they have um so it's tougher when you're on the pit wall than it is watching from tv for sure and i've never been on a pit wall but i'm confident saying that um you know uh joe and gasly um were two other drivers um there are some others too but i can't those are just they were in the top three um they pitted on the first lap and they uh, definitely, I mean, I mean, Joe was running P2 at one point in the race, which is just crazy and shows you how chaotic that start was, as I said. Anyway, then we'll fast forward to kind of the drying phase um, where the soft actually ends up being a lot quicker. Well, actually, before we get to that, how about how quickly Max closed in on Checo just at an absolute rate of knots at one point going over four seconds quicker over one lap? Like, who who is doing that? I mean, that is that is absurd. Like, like I said, 1.3 seconds of qualifying is baffling. Four seconds over one race lap without apparently no mistake being made. That is just stupid. I mean, it's not that long of a of a of a lap either. It's not like it's the freaking Nurburgring. Um, it, it's it's not that long of a of a circuit and. Yeah, Max Max just leaves you speechless at some points. Like he's just ridiculous. Um. So anyway, yeah, Max catching up to Checo ridiculously fast. You know, eventually the drivers who stayed out, as I said, you know, those drives start to see the track come back to them. At that point, Max is about three seconds back from Checo. Red Bull pits Max first, and then Checo. Max successfully pulls off the undercut, stays ahead for pretty much the whole race. And that was how the race was won until about lap 61 of 72, and it starts to downpour. And before I get to what happens next, I'm sure most of you have already seen it because you've watched the race. I'll just give my thoughts on on Red Bull's decision to undercut. To be honest, the whole like, oh, Checo should get preferential strategy. I, I really think the only argument that you could even make for that is that like, if you think Max has sewn this championship up, why are you not giving the preferential strategy to Checo who actually has something to fight for? Well, I would argue against that too because this is Max's home race. Of course he's going to get the preferential strategy. It's basically his team, and he's going for a massive record of nine wins in a row. So why would why would they not you know prioritize Max Verstappen? I get the whole like being fair on, on an average weekend, but not at your home race, not when a record's on the line. I mean... I I also think it was smarter, even though Red Bull's, um, their explanation was total bullshit. I mean, they said it was because they were worried that if they pitted Checo first, that Max would emerge behind Alonso. I think that's total crap, but it's still, it, it made more sense for them to do Max first because then they don't have to worry about Max overtaking Checo. They can just get their lead driver who's driving way faster at the moment ahead of their second driver who's struggling for pace. Just get the quicker guy out in front. It'll all sort itself out in the end. And it should have until, like I said, lap 61 of 72 where it just chucks it down again. I mean, even worse than the start. Everyone frantically pits again for the inter. Then drivers start aquaplaning off the track at turn one, including Checo, who along with a long pit stop onto the extreme yeah, it was yeah. Arnold was at the Inters. He had a long pit stop too, and I think it might have been onto the Inters. Um, but yeah, that gave P two to Fernando Alonso, and then a few laps later, Joe hard into the barriers, and the race is red flagged. At that point, Checo was coming in for the extreme wets, and it, it ended up not mattering. People thought it was a big deal because they, you know, I saw it in. Uh, I always remember twenty twenty one Saudi Arabia. The race was under safety car conditions, and uh, 
Mercedes was kind of being cheeky. They they got Bottas to slow down so they could do a double stack behind the safety car. Max stayed out and then it got red flagged and Mercedes got you know relegated to second and third. And Max like got the lead because he stayed out and didn't and then got the free pit stop right. So it looked like it was going to be a situation like that where Checo was going to fall down to sixth, but the FAA reinstated him back to third. So it ended up not mattering. But this red flag delay was quite long. Um, I think race control got the decisions right here. They waited a bit longer um, to uh, keep get the track dry and force everyone onto the intermediate because you know another round of stupid frantic pit stops to to get off of the extreme wets like we saw in Belgium would just be silly especially at a stupid tight pit lane like Sanford um yeah that just would have been ridiculous so I I actually really liked the the extra delay to make sure everyone gets on the inters and then we can just have a race we don't have to worry about this stupid um it would have completely flipped the order again for no reason the people at the back get a massive advantage because they can just come in get on the enters before the people at the front and it just kind of yeah so I'm, I'm glad they decided to avoid that but anyway so max leads fernando away actually max does have to put up with a bit of pressure here from fernando the old fox was certainly right on his tail at the beginning but then max eventually finds his groove cruises for the final few laps to take the win checo doesn't even end up on the podium actually because he also uh Got a penalty for surfing in the pit lane, as Christian Horner called it. Basically couldn't get the car stopped when he was chucking it down when he came into the pits for the extreme wets before the red flag. So a pit stop he didn't even need to make, and that led him to speed in the pit lane, which uh, costed him P3. Pierre Gasly inherits it, gets on the podium. So that is how the race was won by Max and lost by Checo. Pretty straightforward, right? I mean, Max win from pole. It doesn't get any more simple than that. We're 15 minutes in. <laughs> that was a hell of a race, let me let me say. Um, and what else can you say about Red Bull? I mean, Max Verstappen and Red Bull just absolutely on it. Max doesn't put a foot wrong. Red Bull gets every single strategy call correct. All the drivers are, are talking about they're waiting for Max to make a mistake, and he just doesn't ever make one. It really is incredible what they're doing. And at a certain point, even though you're a Mercedes fan or you're just a Formula One fan in general and you want other people to challenge, it's just like you look at the other teams. I mean, we'll get into them in a second, but pretty much every other team just completely dropped the ball this weekend, except yeah, you could argue a couple teams uh, kind of nailed it too and maximized their weekend. But my God, I mean, Red Bull is just doing everything right at the moment and you got to tip your cap at a certain point, right? So I think another driver team pairing that probably at least was close to Red Bull's level this weekend was Aston Martin and Fernando Alonso because let me tell you, they absolutely screwed Lance Stroll. I'll get to that in a second. But uh, of course, Fernando was next on the road, P2. What a race from him and, and Aston. He had an incredible opening lap. I believe he qualified P5, so solid showing from him after a bit of a tough stretch for the team, of course. Um, that opening lap that Fernando had didn't really matter in the end, though. I think he got past Albon and George Russell up into P3. Of course, it all just mattered when the people came in for the intermediates. They nailed the strategy. Fernando didn't put a foot wrong either. The car actually did have some solid pace here. They did bring an upgrade. It appeared that it maybe worked, but I feel like we need to see a few more consistent weekends from Aston Martin to really be able to gauge if this was an upgrade or just them maximizing what they had and all the other teams dropping the ball, as I said. Um, But it also shows that maybe we were too quick to write off Aston Martin. I mean, we were discussing whether McLaren was going to catch up. And it's kind of back-to-back weekends where I feel like McLaren left points on the table. So maybe they're also not as operationally sound as we thought they were. Um, but anyway, I'll get to McLaren in just a second. Fernando, back and recharge for the second half, obviously. I mean, it looked like even a fight for the win was on for a second at that rolling restart, as I said. Really challenging Max. He was quicker for the first lap or two like it was actually crazy I thought it was on um but then we get to Lance Stroll um oh well, actually the last thing about Fernando how hyped he was in the podium like you can tell like he, he's happy that the team's performance is back he, he talked about 
how confident he was in the car this weekend as well, which is a great sign. Um, and at his age, it really is just special to see what he is still doing in a Formula One car. Man, does he ever belong in this sport still, obviously. But anyway, getting to Stroll, he finishes P11. A pretty anonymous race in the back. Um, I, I can't really even remember any significant moments with him. But I will say, in his defense, don't just look at Fernando P2 and stroll out of the points. Stroll's strategy was horrendous. I mean, he had three pit stops before Alex Albon even had one. He did even almost recover to the points, too. Um, he got caught up with uh, not being able to overtake Leclerc, who was a bit of a roadblock for some people because Ferrari did have some some uh, speed on the straights. But with the damaged floor, Leclerc's pace was obviously horrible. Um, so, of course, Stroll was a bit of a disappointment again this weekend. He should have qualified better as well. Um, tough opening lap. But, yeah, considering his teammate was a few seconds off the win, of course, that's disappointing, but just a little bit of context. It wasn't like he was like last on the road like he was at some point. Like the strategy was terrible, and that made a big difference in this race. So, speaking of disappointment, yeah, let's go to McLaren now because I, I really thought this was a weekend that they could ace. Um, it was a great performance from Lando in qualifying, and it could have been for Oscar. I think it was a bit of a shame. He just didn't nail his final lap. As I said, it's all about the final lap on a drying track. He looked pretty impressive otherwise, but then we get to the race and they were just one of the teams that just did not get the strategy right at all on Sunday. Um, then also their pace was just a little bit of a letdown. I, I felt, you know, Lando couldn't get past an Alpha Tauri. The Sonoda roadblock was a, a bit of a problem for some people, but it seemed especially an issue for Lando. Um, I, I really do think they were just a little bit slower than their direct competitors as well. I think Alonso was quicker. Um, they were quicker than Ferrari, but I, I feel like Mercedes's race pace was also better. I expected McLaren to be up there. I thought this would be a track, and especially in damp, wet conditions, I thought that would be exactly the type of uh, conditions and track that would allow them to thrive. But maybe this team just has a little bit more... Um, a few more issues to iron out than I expected um, before I can consider them perennial podium contenders. I think I'm a little bit more down on McLaren for the rest of the season than I perhaps, um, or uh, more down on McLaren than I was before. And I perhaps should have been uh, a little bit more hesitant to jump on the bandwagon. I really am kind of, I, I'm not, I haven't lost faith. I think the step that they made is still incredible. This team, I feel like, has a bright future. I think they can get back to the pinnacle of Formula One, um, but just I feel like they're a little further off than um, I may have realized. So P7 and P9 in the end, after the team, you know, kept both of them out on softs just far too long. That was the the big killer, and Piastri also got screwed over by the safety car for Logan Sargent a little bit. So decent, but nothing special for McLaren here. Um, so let's move on to Mercedes then because kind of a similar story in terms of a disappointment here because um, it was it was just a puzzling start to the weekend I found, especially from uh, for Lewis. Um, mixed feedback from the drivers. They both seemed very happy with the car on Friday. Lewis probably even happier than George. Um, but then we get to Saturday. George looks way happier with the car and Lewis was complaining, complaining, complaining about the setup I mean he failed to make Q3 he got impeded multiple times but honestly no excuse I think he just never got into the rhythm that George found I was pretty disappointed with Lewis's performance in the wet there so it was P3 for George who had a great qualifying I think he needed that it's it had been a while since he had out qualified Lewis P13 for Lewis I honestly wanted to uh, turn off the race too on Sunday when I watched Mercedes completely fumble the bag so hard with their strategy. I think out of all the teams with both drivers, I think they screwed up probably the hardest. Lewis was the only driver on the grid who started on mediums. I don't think that was the right call, but I, I, I'm not complaining about that decision because you know I didn't hate it. I, I thought that meant... As soon as the rain came down, he would be early to the inters. And if the rain wasn't bad, then he could extend and he could offset the people around him. I, I didn't hate it, but that was contingent on him actually getting onto the inters early. But no, 
They were stubborn. They left both cars hanging out to dry, or, or should I say soak, because it just kept on raining and raining and raining with the dry tires. I mean, Lewis, on his mediums, dropped all the way to the back. You're not going to have any pace on a, on a track with no grip on the least grippiest tire on the track, because everyone else is on softs or the inters, of course. And George, who was in the lead of the race, actually, very momentarily, actually drove great on those softs when they were clearly not the right tire, to be fair. Um, I felt like he was the quickest out of all the people on the wrong tire, but still, it was clearly not the right one. He, They pitted him after Lewis. They got in Lewis first, so he emerged behind his teammate from P3 to P1 to, like, P17. Just absolutely destroyed any advantage he earned himself in qualifying by the end of it. They get George on the hards. They get Lewis on a soft, soft strategy. It, it, it was an okay, you know, strategy to get their drivers back into decent points-paying positions. Just turned into a complete recovery drive for the both of them. Um, the car had great pace. They were just a bit draggy, which didn't help too much when they were stuck in a DRS train for a bit. But I felt like they both drove great. Um, the soft, soft strategy was a bit better for Lewis, and he was also just ahead on track. So when Lewis came in for the pit stops and George just extended on those hards, Lewis caught up to him again. And before Lewis was passing George, before that second big rainfall that I mentioned earlier, George had maybe one of the saves of the season. I mean, we have to talk about that just briefly, right? I mean, tips a gra- uh, wheel, left wheel, left front onto the grass, I believe, and he was almost damn sideways going into one of the fastest corners on the track and not of the it's nothing like cops or anything but that is a pretty fast corner and I don't know how George didn't just completely send his car into into the barriers I mean that was an incredible save it it really was I mean you have to go watch that if you haven't seen it because that is just uh, exhilarating stuff to watch like that is so impressive the reaction time um uh, I, don't, I don't really know what else to say because I've never been in that situation before but I can tell you that is some damn impressive stuff um so anyway let, let's just fast forward to after the red flag for Mercedes Lewis started sixth finished sixth um, could not get past Carlos Sainz like I said I think the Ferrari did have some decent straight line speed and that's really the main overtaking spot on this track, I don't think Signs was bad enough where Lewis could get past in one of the, the corners. It, it just wasn't enough. Um, but, of course, George, battling with Lando, suffers a puncture, drops him out of the race. Just so unfortunate to only pick up eight points on this weekend for the pace Mercedes had. Horrible, horrible execution. Horrible strategy. Although the point that they made is somewhat fair. They said that they would rather have a good race car and not get a good result than vice versa. And I think that is the right way to look at it. The The pace was was pretty good. But my God, what an operational disaster. I mean, I, I thought they, they could have been in red and, and fit right in. My God. Um, so let's, let's go on to Williams. I, I feel like, uh, you know, George dropping out certainly helped his buddy, Alex Albon get through with a a pretty solid points finish. The Williams was flying, though, I mean, especially, of course, Alex Albon, P4 in qualifying. Logan Sargent also made Q3 for the first time in his career, then followed it up with his first time lapped. (laughs) Uh, He followed his first time lapped in Q3 with uh, a wheel dipped onto the damp part of the track. Just absolutely sent his car into the barrier. Not a great look, especially on, I think, this is a big second half for Logan Sargent if he wants to uh, have a career in Formula 1 beyond 2023. Um, So, great start, P10, but then also, you know, he was like a second off of Albon in Q2 and still made it in. That's just how weirdly good the pace was for Williams. And then... You know, he gets into Q3, That that's great. He, he looks like he's making a step, and then he immediately crashes the car. So a tough one to judge there. Um, and then, yeah, so they're, they're P4 and P10 in the race. Um, I would say that quickly unraveled on Williams. Kind of, I would say they're both another team, bad strategy, and starts for the both of them. I mean, 
Albon dropped two spots at the start. Logan dropped like eight. Horrible first lap. But then at least Williams, instead of you know doing what Mercedes did and leaving them out too long and then going on to the inters and then having to go back to the dries, at least Williams kept their drivers on the dries. So Albon ran those first lap softs for 45 laps. I, it might have even been even more. And he ended up with four points. I, I really do think it was a fantastic drive and a pretty solid recovery from their mistakes at the start. Great weekend overall. As for Logan, of course, he DNF'd. But in the race, he got screwed pretty much every way. I mean, he did lose out on the strategy as well. And then his hydraulics also failed, which sent his Williams into the barrier again. But I had to mention that in case some of you didn't know that. It was not his fault that he crashed. Just before people get on him about crashing twice, you can't do anything about a hydraulics failure. I mean, it was the same thing. If you remember back to Alonso's qualifying lap in Australia last year, he was on for probably the front row. His hydraulics failed. He went straight on um, and had a pretty high-speed crash. If the hydraulics fail, you're sitting duck. You're, you're going fast into the into the barriers. So tough bounce for him. Um, like I said, a weekend where I think he really needed to prove himself to the team. He probably knew it. That's probably why he was sitting on the sidelines by the edge of the track for like, 40 minutes in the pouring rain that was some sad scenes um but i think the most interesting storyline probably of the whole weekend maybe besides red bull was alpha Tauri and of course liam lawson so we're back full circle to the alpha Tauri conversation how did liam lawson do of course he spun in fp3 he kept it out of the barrier at least um but in the race I think they called it a baptism of fire. I mean, what a race to have your first, like your debut in Formula One. It was just a complete mess from start to finish. His goal was to learn and finish the race. And that's exactly what he did. He even had a nice little battle with Leclerc of Leclerc's car, of course, completely compromised. And I will just touch on Ferrari a little bit before I end my review here. Um, he also finishes ahead of Sonoda. That's Lawson, of course. Overall, I think, Lawson impressed a lot. Um, Sonoda was quicker, for sure, um, but not by a stupid amount. Um, I, I think they screwed up Sonoda's strategy pretty hard by leaving him out way too long. And then he uh, ended up with a post-race penalty, which just sent him pretty much to the back uh, after the uh, rolling restart. But still, I mean, for a rookie to, to get sent into those types of conditions and even finish the race and be within a couple spots of points, that's impressive. And I think by the end, his pace was actually pretty solid. Uh, so for a first race with no expectations, I think he absolutely nailed it. Um, so yeah, that's really all I got to say there. And of course, that battle with Leclerc, great for him, not so great for Ferrari, who I think was just not on the pace at all really this weekend relative to their competitors. Leclerc had a bit of a shocker. He barely squeaked out of Q1 by the skin of his teeth. He crashed in Q3, damaged his floor in the race. Um, yeah, just an overall pretty rough weekend for him and the team. However, got to give it to signs. I mean, he puts the car ahead of where it belonged on the grid and Q3 had a great lap. Gains a position in the race, finishes P5. I mean, great job, honestly, because that car did not deserve a P5 finish. I think this, again, goes along with what I've always said about Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc. And they're an interesting driver lineup because when the car is hard to drive, Carlos, I feel like he thrives in those conditions. And that's exactly what we saw in 2021. Carlos finished ahead of Charles Leclerc in his rookie uh, season or not rookie season, sorry, his debut season with Ferrari because that Ferrari was just not that good. But when it was had its moments, it was um, it was uh, Leclerc up there. Leclerc had two poles. Leclerc had a P2 in Silverstone and arguably could have won um, if it wasn't for Lewis passing him on the second last lap. But anyway, we're not talking about that. Um, but when the cars hooked up, Charles Leclerc just absolutely cooks. So... That I feel like just Charles really struggles with a car that's that's not balanced well, where Carlos manages a bit better. Carlos still no podiums this season, but guess who's ahead in the championship? Carlos, because 
He is just always there. If the car is struggling, he's there. If the car is on top of it, he's mid. So he's just still there. Um, but he is turning in points. He he should have scored in Belgium, but of course had that incident with Piastri. Anyway, the point is they just have completely different skill sets, and that's what makes them kind of an interesting dynamic. And now I'm going to get into the results. I know you're probably thinking, aren't you forgetting someone pretty important here? I mean, we only talked about two people who finished on the podium. Just give me one second, okay? So we get to the results. Max Verstappen, P1, his ninth straight win. P2, Fernando Alonso, his first podium since Canada. P3, Pierre Gasly. Phenomenal effort from him and the team. I will get to him in one moment. P4, Perez. Kind of shocking after, you know, the rolling restart um or sorry not the rolling restarts the, the the amazing strategy at the start after that kind of a weird race in the end i would say he was probably lucky to just score points um anyway p5 carlos signs quite impressive drive from him as i mentioned p6 lewis hamilton pretty decent recovery effort after a nightmare start then it was lando in p7 another tough day for him and mclaren um where more points were probably on the table for them. Albon secured P8, which is, you know, fantastic for them, even though they probably felt like they had more in them as well. P9, Oscar, and then grabbing the final P10 point was Esteban Ocon, who probably was happy to be in the points, but not happy to be so far behind his teammate. Driver standings, Max Verstappen on 339 points. That is a whopping 238 points ahead, sorry, 138 points ahead of his teammate, Sergio Perez, on 201. Then it's Fernando Alonso on 168. He is in a battle between him and uh, Perez and Lewis Hamilton. He sits 12 points ahead of Lewis. Still a bit of a ways to go to catch Checo, though. Lewis on 156, Carlos Sainz jumps both Charles Leclerc and George Russell. He's on 102, while Leclerc and Russell are still tied at 99. Then it's a bit of a drop-off to Lando Norris, kind of in the middle of nowhere at 75. And then it's another big drop-off to Lance Stroll at 47. And now the newest member of the top 10, Pierre Gasly. He is on 37 points, 10 behind Stroll, one point ahead of both Piastri and Ocon, who are tied at 36. Looking at the constructors, Red Bull extends their place on top again. 540 points, Mercedes on 255. That gap is massive. Aston Martin, 40 back from Mercedes. They're at 215. Then Ferrari, they're at 201, a whopping 90 points ahead of McLaren. That is quite a gap. If McLaren wants to challenge in the top four, that is, uh, yeah, that's a that's a really big gap. For uh, a top, you know, four behind Red Bull, they're a little too tight. I don't think McLaren's going to be able to pull that off. They should just focus on staying at an Alpine because they grabbed a whole bunch of points this weekend. They're at 73 now. Then it drops off to the bottom four. Williams separates from Haas. They're at 15. Haas remains at 11. Alpha remains at 9. And Alpha Tauri remains at 3. Now let's go to the prize demise and surprise before I get into my Monza predictions. And this is why I left it because my prize is Pierre Gasly. Usually, I look at a big picture thing, and it's hard for someone in Alpine to have like a big picture W right now, but here's my case. I thought that just based off of how the year was trending, that Esteban Ocon was probably going to just squeak out the head-to-head battle because I didn't think that Alpine had like a big point scoring uh, day in them anymore after Ocon's podium in Monaco. I thought there was just too many good teams at the top with, you know, kind of like a solid five with McLaren joining the Red Bull, Mercedes, Ferrari, Aston Martin group. So I thought it was kind of over that head-to-head battle. And then we get this incredible weekend from Gasly. He gets himself ahead of Ocon. Now it's really, it is a fair fight for the rest of the season. And this is an important head-to-head battle for both of these drivers in their stage of their in the stage of their career Esteban is what in his third fourth year with that team Gasly is in his first and if Gasly can maintain you know this lead over Ocon that is going to be huge for him and his F1 career I am afraid that I, I'm not sure it's going to be enough ever to really get himself into a better team than Alpine and I'm 
as, as that pretty much everyone is at this point. No one's really confident in the Alpine project. So it is still kind of hard to make that argument that it's like a big picture moment for their career. But if Alpine brings in anyone, like if they want to bring in a Victor Martins and uh, or or uh, uh, I can't think of the the other or Jack Dewan, and they want to drop one of their drivers, I mean, this head-to-head battle is probably going to decide that, right? So, still, either way, even if it's not like a big picture win for Gasly, what a drive! Um, he had the pace of the top teams. They nailed the strategy, Alpine too. So. Yeah, you know, a podium for a non-top five team is just awesome, and it wasn't kind of fluky like Esteban. And and I think Monaco's just fluky altogether because you have that amazing qualifying lap. Ocon was great there, but then you just kind of have to hold on to it, and there's no threat of anyone overtaking you. So it is a little bit different. So, yeah, maybe that was a weird case for for Gasly getting prized. But anyway, I think he deserves it. The demise is Mercedes. I can keep this one short because I kind of already went through it already. Just an absolutely shocking strategy this weekend. Um, sure, they had pace. And again, maybe this isn't a big picture uh, demise. Like, I usually try to take a big picture outlook to this segment. But I was just, I was completely frustrated with this team after this weekend. So I had to kind of shit on them a bit because I think they deserve it. Uh, I think Ferrari equally could have been the demise here because they were pretty brutal. But anyway. I'm giving it to Mercedes because that was uh, that made me want to pull my hair out. Um, the surprise has to be Williams. I mean, who was more surprising than Williams this weekend? Because Logan Sargent, of all the weekends where I thought he'd make to Q3, not a circuit like this. Where the hell did that come from? I thought it would be the circuit that we're about to go to, right? I mean, I'm pretty sure everyone in the world was kind of thinking the same thing. If Williams is going to get another big result, it's going to be at Monza, not you know, at a track with one straight, basically incredible stuff from them. Um, they obviously have a very balanced car because this was just a tricky weekend altogether. And both of their drivers looked kind of comfortable. So I think that's a huge positive for them. Hopefully they can keep making steps forward and we can see them, you know, challenging for the back end of the points more often. That would be great. I'm looking forward to see what they can do at Monza. So without further ado, let's start talking about the Italian Grand Prix. Well, happy Ferrari week, everybody. I mean, the the Italian Grand Prix is probably the most passion-filled race weekend. Uh, you know what? I'm already starting to backtrack on that because I think Zandvoort arguably is. I mean, what we just saw for, you know, the Dutch fans coming out for Max Verstappen was pretty special. But still, I think Monza for it being classical and the Ferrari fans, the Tifosi come out in droves for this race regardless of how well the team is doing this is definitely up there still for one of the most passionate races of the season ferrari's got their new threads they've already announced it there i kind of liked the yellow and black last year a little bit more than what we got this year it's kind of a weird yellow red black mix um not sure how i like it i mean i'm looking at it right now they got the yellow down the sleeves uh, the hat, I kind of like the hat, I guess. The hats are cool. Um, the black pants, they they look a bit strange, though. I don't know. It, it's a bit... <laughs> I would give it maybe like a C. I think they could have done better. But anyway, it's also a home race for AlphaTauri, who kind of made news today as well. I'm, I'm recording this on Monday. They announced that Liam Lawson will drive for the AlphaTauri team until Danny Ricciardo was fit. So hopefully that means that... No matter what, no matter how good Lawson does, Ricardo is back in the seat, no matter what. I think that will be the case because I'm sure they want Lawson to see out his you know, super formula season. He has a chance at the championship, so that would be um, nice to see what Lawson can do at these next couple of races, but then also give Daniel Ricardo his seat back, as I mentioned earlier this episode. Um, but yeah, let's get straight into the preview. We've already ran pretty long here just because of how crazy the freaking Dutch Grand Prix was. Uh, do I really need to break down the, the Italian Grand Prix track for you guys? Cause I mean, like it's the temple of speed. Everyone knows that at this point, it is probably the fastest track. I don't know, actually know based off of, um, how like speeds I imagine it is, but anyway, three long straights. It's probably going to be uh, 
a, a Max Verstappen Red Bull uh, dream scenario as well, just because of how efficient their car is. Last year, Max Verstappen took the win comfortably ahead of Charles Leclerc. It did look like there may have been a fight kind of in the early going between the two of them, but Max and Red Bull just proved to simply be too strong in the end. However, F1 fans can hold out hope for a new winner because the Monza curse is alive and well. The past three years, the winner of the Italian Grand Prix has retired from the following Italian Grand Prix. 2019, Charles Leclerc takes that epic win, second race on the bounce in that admittedly illegal Ferrari, but still an epic win. I mean, the commentary from David Croft. I've already done it once in this podcast. If you were listening back then and you're still listening now, I love you, by the way. Um, (laughs) Charles Leclerc wins in 2019. He crashes out in 2020. Pierre Gasly wins in 2020. He crashes out in 2021. Daniel Ricciardo wins in 2021, crashes, or sorry, retires in 2022. Before I get, obviously, you guys know that Max won and you get it, but like, how about that, like, stretch of winners at the Italian Grand Prix too? I mean, Leclerc winning in a Ferrari, Gasly winning in an AlphaTauri. I mean, those are two Italian teams that just won as well. I mean, it is a bit of a home race for AlphaTauri too. And then Ricardo, his only win in McLaren, and in, in, in the first McLaren 1-2 since 2012, the only 1-2 of the entire 2021 season, Ricardo is part Italian. I mean, what a stretch of, of Italian Grand Prix winners we had there. And then we get Max Verstappen last year, which was a bit of a letdown comparatively, comparatively to the three years prior. So could Max suffer that same bad luck? Who knows? This was also... The Nick DeVries race, though, last year, where he grabbed two points for Williams on his F1 debut. That's what earned him the seat at AlphaTauri, which was a bit of a mistake from Red Bull. Uh, I think we all know that now. But anyway, barring any Max misfortune, he should keep his streak alive here. No problem at all. Uh, I do think his closest challenger will be Ferrari, though. I mean, hopefully we actually get a dry weekend for a change, too, because it just seems to never stop raining in Formula 1 at the moment. And I think I kind of nailed it last week when I said that the rain would hurt Mercedes because I think in the dry, they would have been a lot stronger. Um, Of course, I didn't envision them absolutely just being clowns with strategy. But anyway, my prediction, qualifying poll, got to be Max Verstappen. For the race, got to be Max Verstappen. Actually, you know what? Charles Leclerc is going to win the Italian Grand Prix. The Monza curse is going to stay alive. I don't know. I don't really believe it, but let's just change it up for fun. So Max is going to retire because of the curse. Okay, so I'll go P2, Sergio Perez, and Red Bull's going to be fuming because they didn't keep their streak alive and Checo should have won. Um, and then P3 is Lewis Hamilton. P4, um, let's go Fernando Alonso. Um, my, my bold prediction, I mean, you know, that's pretty bold already, but let's say Leclerc actually grabs pole two. Ferrari is just lighting it on fire at Monza. That would be pretty cool. So let's go with that. (laughs) Don't believe that at all. But anyway, let's go to Brad's bets. You got to ride the bias every weekend, guys, because I mean, I just had a pretty great week at the Dutch Grand Prix. So I did say to take Lando on the podium. That obviously did not happen. But I can't really be mad at myself. The, The chaos of the race. I mean, kind of screwed me out of that one. I feel like in the dry, Lando probably would have secured a podium. If not, P4, he would have been pretty close. I had Alonso in the top six for plus 175. That is pretty good money. And did he ever? I mean, finishing second. And then I had Gasly scoring in the points, plus 120. That's another over double your money. He was obviously in the points because he was on the podium. Then I had both Mercs in the top six. That, of course, did not happen. Um, But then I had plus 333 for a red flag. That is over quadruple your money. And we got a red flag. So I would have made you a lot of money if you took all those bets. And then, of course, my long shot pole position for Lando. I mean, plus 750. That was, again, pretty close. Close is only good in horseshoes and hand grenades, as they say. It doesn't do you any good in betting. But... I will take the pat on the back for going three for six, including my long shot. 
and pretty much all my wrongs being pretty close. I think that was a pretty good week for Brad's bets. So before I wrap it up here, if you want to test your knowledge of F1 about three times a week, play the F1 crossover grid guys on crossovergrid.com slash F1. I've been playing this. I've been so excited for this to come out because I've been doing this in hockey and baseball and other sports for a while. It finally came out in F1. I've been posting these videos to my TikTok. If you don't know what it is, basically, it's a grid of nine squares. On the x-axis, you get three F1 teams or a stat, like race winner in Canada or um, Ford engine or something like that. And the uh, y-axis will have the same. Um, You'll have uh, same thing like teams, stats, whatever. And in the nine grid spots, you can try to guess which driver fits for both. So let's say if it was Ford engine and a world champion, you could go for someone like um, Denny Holm, who won the championship in 1967, and Ford engines pretty much dominated an entire like 20 years of, of Formula One. So that's just a random example. If it was uh, one that's out recently, Red Bull Racing and Ferrari, that's Sebastian Vettel, one of the only people to actually drive for both those teams. So anyway, I hope you get the picture. I've been posting those videos to TikTok, doing those um, as often as they come out. So I would suggest you try it out yourself if you're a Formula One fan and then compare with my score on TikTok. Um, It's pretty fun to play along. So that will do it for episode 68 of Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer, and I'll be back next week to review the Italian Grand Prix. Can Max make it 10 wins in a row? The first driver to ever do that securing the record all by himself or will the Tafosi and Ferrari have something to say about it goodbye <laughs>